If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons, and to be honest, my goal is to have at least 10% or just 1 in 10 of our regular listeners supporting the show, and we have ways to go until we reach that point. So if you've been finding our work valuable and you're able to support the show starting at just $2 per month, like a simple morning's cup of tea, you can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. And thank you so much if you're already a supporter of the show. I think there is this general perception that the Amazon is infinite in a way, which actually can be very bad, this perception, because we do have a lot of resources. The Amazon is big and we still have a lot of forest, but we don't even know, I mean, what we are missing when one hectare of forest is the forest. That was Annie Alencar, the director of science for the Amazon Environmental Research Institute, which is a scientific, non-governmental, non-partisan, and non-profit organization that has worked for the sustainable development of the Amazon since 1995. You might remember news regarding the Amazon's forest fires was all over social media and the internet the summer and fall of 2019. And while there may not be as many forest fires happening right now, as of March 2020, this is still a vital discussion to listen to because, as it turns out, the fires are really just one part of what happens alongside of the ongoing deforestation. So this may not be the peak season for forest fires, but the issues of deforestation are, again, continual and ongoing. So we're going to hear all about that, how the man-made forest fires have been changing the bioregional landscape, climate and water cycle in the Amazon, and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word.
Studying geography is great because it gives you this perspective of the relationship between human beings and the environment and the territory. And this was one of the things that most motivated me when I started to, to do so. As I mentioned before, I decided to go to school and do geography because I liked maps, I liked geomorphology, I liked all things that are related to physical geography. But when I got there and I saw that, wow, there was an, a totally new world related to how humans interact with the environment and how we can use that actually to understand better how to promote like better conservation strategies, I, I was fascinated. So if we were to focus on the Amazon rainforest specifically, what led people to develop exploitative relationships with the ecosystems there, rather than being able to see the inherent value that lies in these biodiverse and rich, intact forests? I think for the Amazonians, like the people that live in the Amazon, like me, in a way it's intrinsic to see what is the role and the value of nature for our livelihoods, in a way. So uh, you just, I mean, look over the window and, and at least in, in the city that I lived in Berlin, you just see that huge river and, and the big islands surrounding full of trees and, and you kind of feel that it's important. But I should say that there is a disconnection in a way from the people that live in urban areas in the Amazon with the people that actually go to the Amazon to do some type of exploitation. I think there is this general perception that the Amazon is infinite in a way. There is a lot to, to use and to explore, which actually can be very bad, this perception, because we do have a lot of resources. The Amazon is big and we still have a lot of forest, but we don't even know, I mean, what we are missing when one hectare of forest is the forest. So would you say that the a lot of the exploitation and destruction happening within the Amazon and also in other ecosystems as well, primarily come from people who don't have a relationship to that land? And so they may not see the inherent value there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the exploitation in the Amazon happens from people that are not used to live from the forest and with the forest, which are basically, they come from outside of the Amazon. And they don't, don't actually see that inherent value of the forest as an ecosystem service. Most of these large companies or the companies that go to the Amazon or the people that go there to grab land or to exploit timber in a very conventional and degraded way or mining, I mean, those people, they actually see the resources in the Amazon just like something that they can make money easily and fast. So your primary research topic has been to understand the impacts of climate change and forest fragmentation caused by deforestation on the occurrence and increase of forest fires in the Brazilian Amazon. I would love to start by talking about wildfires more generally. So when ecosystems have naturally occurring wildfires, what role does the wildfire play to actually benefit the ecosystem in some way? And which ecosystems or regions around the world are actually prone to having these naturally occurring wildfires? 
Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of savanna, for example, systems or other forest, temperate forests, that they do need fire in a certain regime to actually keep the development. So this type of disturbances, such as the, the ones caused by fire, can, in these ecosystems, help some seeds to, to actually break down and, and, and sprout and things like that. But this is not the case of the Amazon. The Amazon is not a fire-dependent system. It's a fire-sensitive system. In fact, fire is a disturbance that happens naturally in the Amazon every 500 to 1,000 years, which means that it's something very rare. It hasn't happened in our lifetime because it does depend on mega El Nino events, for example, on a stream that can cause extreme weather uh, conditions and droughts that can actually make the rainforest more susceptible to fire. This means that I can affirm you that in the Amazon, we don't have natural fires. 100% of the fires that we have are anthropogenic fires. Mm. And they're happening every year. They do happen every year because fire is part of the production system in the Amazon. So is the tool that people use to convert a considerable amount of biomass, like, for example, in a, in a mature forest, 300 tons of, of biomass into ashes that go to promote nutrients to the, to the soil for pasture, grass plantation or agriculture plantation. So fire is the only way, is the only tool that is used in the Amazon to do this conversion from forest to pasture or agriculture fields. Would you say what's happening in the Amazon rainforest is similar to what's happening to other rainforests? So we've been hearing about wildfires happening in the rainforests of Indonesia and also in West Africa as well. So are rainforests in general, do they similarly not have naturally occurring wildfires? So we can assume that the fires happening in these other rainforests are also human caused and done intentionally. I can't say that for the other countries or the other, the other tropical forests because, because I, I don't know the specificity of their fire regime. But I can tell you in the Amazon what happens is that we as human beings and with our activities, we are breaking this ability of the forest itself to act as a barrier for fires. Just to give you a very clear perspective on how fire is related to deforestation and how wildfires or how forest fires, I, I shouldn't say wildfires, but how forest fires are actually started to become part of the Amazon landscape. It, it's by understanding how fires occur in the Amazon. So we have basically, we can divide the, the types of fire in the Amazon in four. Two of them are the major sources of fires. One is the fire that follows deforestation, 
So in the, the system that I was mentioned before, you have forest plot, standing forest, you cut the trees and you let it dry for one to three months. And then when it's dry enough, you set fire and it converts this biomass into ashes that will become a pasture or agriculture fields. So this is one type. The second type is the maintenance fires that we, we call like that, the management fires, maintenance fires. They are used to burn pasture fields or early growth forest degraded, degraded areas of agriculture. They are used to clean these areas, to clean from weeds, for example. So people set fires to, okay, we are going to set the fire and all the weeds are going to die and the grasses, which are very aggressive, they will come back again as soon as this, the rainfall starts. So this is the second type of fire. Those two types of fire, which are man-made, which are anthropogenic, intentionally ignited, they are the major sources of the other two types of fire, which are accidental fires. And in this, these other two types of fires, are the ones that go into the forest, they escape from the agriculture areas and they go into the forest and generate the forest fires, the understory forest fires, or the ones that actually accidentally escape from these intentionally fired burned areas to other pasture or other agricultural fields that were not intentionally intended to burn. So by saying that, it means that forest fires, which in other places would be wildfires, they do happen because they have ignition sources set by humans. So because rainforests are typically wet, humid, and lush, people have to cut the trees down and actually let them dry out to be able to set them on fire. Exactly. And there's another point to that. They stand in forests in regular years, climatically speaking. Like in, in the rainforest is wet, so it's very difficult for the fire to develop inside the forest, in the forest floor, because the material is wet. So what happens is that we are also breaking this ability of the forest to hold fires from spread inside the forest. We are doing that by generating ads in the forest. Like when we deforest a piece of forest, we create an edge in the forest. And this edge becomes more susceptible to fire because, I mean, you have more the contact with a drier air with more humid air. And then you create right there some changes in the environment in terms of the microclimatic conditions. The second way we actually increase the flammability of the forest to fires is by, by logging, harvesting timber. So when we harvest timber, we actually open, we promote open in the canopy, and we also create a considerable amount of, of fuel material that 
is going to be there available for fires. So when we open the canopy, because we take one tree out, also we have this change in the microclimatic conditions. We have some hot air coming inside the forest and changing vapor pressure deficit, which ends up turning the interior of the forest drier. And this also has an impact on the fuel material that is going to be consumed by fire in the future. This means that for a forest to be burned, we need to have three elements working together for that to happen. And if we imagine a triangle, you see that in one of the corners of the triangle, you have to have few material to burn in a good quality and condition. In the other corner, you have to have good environmental conditions for the burn to happen and to spread. And in the third corner of the triangle, you have to have the ignition source. So if you don't have any one of these three, the fires is not going to happen. So when we think about the Amazon, we think that there are some climatic events that do influence on the drought, the intensity of the drought in the region, such as El Nino, for example, or the Amo, which is a warming of the Atlantic North waters. Those events, climatic phenomena, they do have uh, an influence on how dry is the dry season in the Amazon. And when uh, this happens, the forest becomes more prone to fire. But if we don't have ignition, the forest is not going to burn. This is why it's very, very important to reduce the number of fires in the Amazon. So how do you do that if people need to use fire as a tool? Because fire is a, a tool that is part of the production system. Well, first of all, we don't need to the forest and to burn at this rate that we have forest and burns because part of the area that has been deforested and burned are, are for land grabbing or illegal deforestation. So this, we can reduce this because this is for land speculation. Second, if the government invests in better management practices, for example, the pasture fields, like you do rotation, also you can, you can control the density of cattle heads in your, in your pasture fields so you don't have over-exploitation of the grasses, and then you can uh, have a more efficient way of producing and you won't need to use fire because you won't have a lot of weeds in your pasture. So there are a lot of ways in, in which we can reduce fire ignition in the Amazon and the need, of, and the need to use fire. Even if we didn't have these intentionally set forest fires to clear the land, in the end, if the farmers and corporations were still to clear the land and use that for extraction, but just without any fires involved, what sorts of impact would that still have on the Amazon's ecosystem? 
I, I should say that fires have an impact and the impact in the forest is related to forest degradation. And also, of course, I mean, when you burn, we have, we emit uh, CO2 to the atmosphere. But I should say that the most danger thing is actually deforestation. What happened this year is that we had a very unusual fire season. First of all, I mean, usually we have the peak of the fire season is in September, and this year was in August. Because we knew that deforestation rates were increasing, because we had a signal of that in June, we expected that a lot of fires would come. So we had a peak of fire in August, and we were expecting a lot of fires in September and October as well. But because of all the commotion that, I mean, the national and international community positioned themselves as like worried about the Amazon and things like that. So the government actually did something. There was a, a fire moratorium that was uh, released end of August, beginning of September. And also there was a decree that released the army to go to the Amazon to put out fires. Those things, I don't know if those things helped or not, but fires did reduce a lot after September. But what was is important to mention is that fire reduced, but deforestation continued. So a lot of the areas that where the forest were still not burned in these areas will burn probably uh, if they don't burn this year because now it starts to rain. So probably they are not going to burn this year, but maybe they will burn next year. By getting your, your question, I mean, it's important to say that what we have to fight, what is the root problem of conservation in, in the Amazon? is actually deforestation. Fire comes along with deforestation. To reduce fire is important, but it's more important to reduce deforestation. Yeah, I think the global community gets really fired up when we see these dramatic pictures of wildfires or forest fires. But it's also important for people to remember that even Outside of the fire season, outside of the dry season, even without these fires going on, there is still deforestation happening. So we can't just pay attention during these few months when the, the fires are burning. We also have to keep this top of mind because it's happening ongoing in the Amazon and elsewhere as well. Yes, yes. I mean, it's very important that the community in general like have this in mind, that deforestation is the main issue of the Amazon conservation. Fires are related to deforestation and is an important driver of forest degradation. And we do have to care about it. But if we don't have deforestation, we reduce the number of fires that will cause degradation by forest fires. 
If we look at a chart of annual deforestation in the Amazon, we can see that between 1995 to 2005, there were typically between 6,000 square miles to 10,000 square miles of the forest that is deforested per year. And then we see that there's a steep decline in deforestation after 2005. And in the recent years, it's been increasing a little again. So what can we attribute that decrease in deforestation in 2005 to? And what do we need to know about the increase in forest fires in the recent years? After 2005, which we had one of the highest peak of deforestation in the series of monitoring, actually at that time, the government, the federal government, really promote public policies that would fight deforestation. So there were a lot of innovations in the public policies and the way deforestation, the subject of deforestation was treated in the government, which helped a lot this issue. The first one was monitoring system. Brazil has put out one uh, monitoring system, which was a, a deforestation alert system, which would give to the government with the intelligence agencies that work with uh, uh, enforcement, it would give deforestation alerts right away. They sent this information to, to people to go to the field or to promote like operations, police operations. And, and this actually end up inhibiting a lot of these land grabbing and deforestation for land speculation, as I mentioned before. So this was one thing. So improve in the, in the monitoring system and strategies to deal with enforcement in the Amazon. The second thing is the deforestation issue was first treated inside the Ministry of Environment. And at that time, the deforestation issue was brought to the we have a ministry here, which is, is a civil house, which is like just below the president. So the deforestation actually became an issue that was treated by several ministries. So it actually put the topic in a very high standard for the government. So this was actually helped to improve and to coordinate and articulate a lot of public policies to support sustainable production, for example, to link illegal production with sanctions and, and things like that. So this was another thing. The third thing is that also a list of counties that had highest deforestation rates was also created. So the municipalities that were in those lists, they had their credit lines cut, which means that not only the producer, the farmer that was deforesting was being punished, but also his neighbor that didn't deforest was being punished. So this kind of created a, a peer enforcement in the municipalities. And for them to be out of this list, this blacklist of municipalities, the mayors and the, they had to actually increase the area of the municipality that were registered in a, in a, in a property register 
And also they had to reduce deforestation and to have plans to control deforestation. So there was a major effort in actually engaging the local governments in fighting deforestation and linking that with economic sanctions. And on top of that, also the market, which are the, the private policies, were also playing a very important role. We had a soy moratorium, which buyers started to, to buy uh, soy only from areas that were deforested a long time ago. So in recent deforest areas, the buyers wouldn't buy the soybean. So we had several drivers, including better enforcement, better monitoring, like sanctions, economic sanctions, private uh, policies such as the soy moratorium that together uh, actually uh, act in a way that deforestation was reduced by 80% in the Amazon that period. Well, overall, I think with the Amazon rainforest having the reputation of being such a vital ecosystem for our entire shared planet, its devastation has really sparked global awareness and mobilization. So people from outside of this region also really want to do what they can. What do you think needs to be done at this point within the countries that the Amazon is a part of so we can better conserve the rainforest? And what can be done externally to create more international pressure from the outside? Yeah, I think internally, the people from Brazil, for example, need actually to recognize better the importance of us having the Amazon in terms of ecosystem services, in terms of home of a diverse type of, of uh, groups, indigenous groups and, and local traditional people uh, that live in harmony with the forest. Also, they need to understand the treasure that we have in this forest in terms of biodiversity and possibility of future business as well. The importance of that for our water, as I said, for our, our climatic comfort. So Brazilians do need to understand and to internalize that better. And one way of doing that is actually through consume, like being more aware of what you are eating and from where is what you are eating is coming from. If it's from, I'm, I'm not even saying that you should stop eating meat, for example. I, I'm just saying that you, I mean, the Brazilians should be more aware from where what they are eating is coming from. And they need to start, we need to start asking that. And I, I should say the same for the international people, I mean, the society in, in general, in the other countries, this pressure of knowing from where the products that are producing some of this, this destruction in the Amazon, uh, how, where is this coming from? I mean, knowing, know, knowing from where the soybean is coming from, knowing from where the meat is coming from is very important to have this restorability is important. So the, I think this is something that is very important is, is that international community can, can help 
Brazil. Uplifting social media account or publication you follow, or a book that's been really profound for you. The book, in terms of book, I think the Homo Deus. I don't know if it's yeah, yeah, it. the Homo Sapiens, but the second one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a, a very important one, inspiring, and, and actually tells a lot what is gonna happen in a way. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? When I started to to work in the 90s, 92, the deforestation rates in the Amazon were about an average 19,000 square kilometers. I never thought we, we would be below 10,000 square kilometers. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that happen, it is possible for us to conserve forests and keep producing, keep having like a pungent agriculture. It is possible. We have a space for that. Brazil is big enough. We just need to be more sustainable to actually be, believe that this is a, something that is going to be good for the country. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? <laughs> I do meditation and this keeps me well. What are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for our planet? I'm working in several things, actually. We are part of a network that does monitoring, like creates maps, land use maps for the entire Brazil. It's called Map Biomas Network. And this is expanding to other areas in, in the world. Of course, IPAM and is, is one institution of several, a group of several institutions. We are actually impacting other countries as well, mm-hmm. mostly in the Amazon. And finally, what makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? I really believe that the, this new generation takes the environment more seriously than our parents' generation or, or our generation, in fact. And they are more aware of climate change because we, some of them are really facing the impacts of climate change. So I think they are very important forces that will fight against everything that goes, that confronts conservation and exploitation of natural resources. 
Well, to our listener, Green Dreamer, if you want to learn more and stay updated on Annie's work, you can head to www.epam.org. That's I-P-A-M.org. And you can also follow them on Twitter at epam underscore Amazonia, on Facebook and Instagram at epam Amazonia. All of this will be linked at greendreamer.com in case you're on the go and you can reference that later. Annie, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your wisdom with us. If our listener would like to get involved with and support the work that you're doing, what calls to action would you like to share? We, we really need your support to actually promote more information and I mean scientific information and get this out like investment in communication. I think it's, it's very important. So we are scientists and sometimes we don't know very well how to communicate major findings and we have to make that connection with general society. So uh, support to improve our communication of our scientific results would be a very key thing that uh, and is very important in, in these days mm. when you have like this fake news all over. Right. <laughs> And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Yeah, you should never stop dreaming and like you should never stop like hoping for a better future. Always like try to do our best to actually have a better environment. Like it starts everything we do it matters. Everything we do is important. And let's Really pay more attention in what we eat. They're mining for gold, but all I see is still so cleverly concealed. Cause all that glitters isn't always gold. Where's the credit in what they sold? Glide in the silver line in rivers far away, it streams in the youth. As they line up by the gates And now the fields are barren Where do we go? Where do we go? From here From here From here Could it be part of the deal?